Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. I love that video uh, and the prayer. And it's very similar to what we're going to be talking about this morning, which is why we used it. I guess that was probably unnecessary to say. But uh, welcome to worship again. I'm Scott Blevins, part of the teaching team here at Garfield and the Microchurch Missional Director. So good to be worshiping with you today, whether face-to-face here or worshiping online. Uh, Very glad to be joining my voice with yours and my heart and mind with yours as we worship this God who has such an immeasurable greatness and power. We are continuing in our series from Ephesians uh, uh, and, and blueprints for the church, God's blueprint for building up the body of Christ, which is the church. And Chip, Pastor Chip promised a couple weeks ago that we were out of Ephesians chapter 1, but now you know what Michael Corleone felt. Uh, every time you try to get out, we suck you right back in to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm sure that's what Michael was talking about too, uh, that a preaching series at his church. Um, so and if you don't know Godfather references, I'll pray for you. I'll, I'll pray for you. So we are continuing that. We are back in Ephesians 1. And uh, uh, I, I really think this is wrapping up Ephesians 1. There's, I think, every word in the chapter we will have preached on by the time this sermon is done today. But I want to do a little bit more um, explanation of the letter of Ephesians as a whole. The Bible is not a single book. It's a collection of writings. And we'll call them books. Sometimes in the church we'll say the book of Ephesians or the book of Matthew, the book of Genesis. Um, They were never originally books. They were scrolls or they were letters. And, And this was a letter. Paul wrote. Um, and, and every English Bible that you can find to say will say that it is book of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians, and that it begins with the phrase, uh, um, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful to Christ Jesus. But this letter is a little bit different than Paul's other letters. There are almost no specifics about the location in Ephesus. When he writes to the church in Corinth, the church in Rome, the church in Philippi, Colossae, uh, the church in Galatia, there are a lot of specifics, including specific people mentioned in those locations. We don't get any of that in Ephesus. It's a, it's a very impersonal letter, particularly if written to a group of people with whom Paul spent, according to the book of Acts, at least two years living with and ministering with and ministering to while he was there. Um, and yet it seems very, very impersonal in some places, in some ways. Later on, in part that, that Flora read, and I'll be getting into in more detail later, we hear Paul saying that he heard about their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their love for 
for the saints. And again, that sounds a little impersonal for, for someone to say, I heard about this. When, why not say, I observed this when I was with you. This is what I saw. Another interesting thing about this letter is, uh, and you may or may not know that there is no original copy of the Bible someplace. And there is no original copy of any of the writings that we have that make up the Bible. We don't have the original letter that Paul wrote. It doesn't exist as far as we know. If it's tucked away and hidden somewhere and archaeologists find it, woohoo. But until then, we have, like we have with most of the writings of the Bible, we have fragments that are pieced together from multiple sources, um, some more and some less complete. Um, Some of the earlier copies of Ephesians and the important copies that we have don't have the word Ephesians in it at the beginning. It just says to the, um, to the saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus rather than to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Does this mean that it's less important or less significant? Um, no, it doesn't. I think it makes it more important. If anything, if, I mean, it's the Bible. So, if, But if it can be made more important or more significant, I think it is by the fact that it wasn't possibly wasn't written to a specific group of Christians but was in fact, or at least very likely, that this was written by Paul as a circular letter. I'm a congenital smart aleck, so I am required at this point to explain that doesn't mean that Paul wrote in a circle. (coughs) Yeah, I know, it wasn't funny when I did it at nine o'clock either. Um, uh, What it means is Paul wrote the letter to be circulated to be circulated among various congregations, various churches in various cities at various times. That it's, it's written to the church. Paul, in most of his writings, when he refers to the church, he uses churches, plural, referring to specific congregations, specific gatherings of followers of Jesus in specific locations. Here in in this letter, he only uses church singular, which in other places he uses to reference the church as a whole. The church as a whole. I like this because that means that this letter was written to the saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus in Garfield as much as to those who were in Ephesus or Philippi or Rome. This letter was written to us to us. And it does, as we've been saying, contain God's plan, God's blueprint for building up the body of Christ. Um, This notion of it being a circular letter has some some personal relevance to me right now too. And and I want to share this now as part of the sermon. There's not a really, I'm trying to shoehorn it in here as part of like part of the substance. It's not really effective, but that's the best I can do. But it's some information I want to share, which is that um, Amy and I are going to be moving. Uh, We are moving to southeastern Ohio down to Gallia County um, for some family reasons. Uh, We're going to be near my parents down there. Amy's mom is going to move down there as well. And uh, uh, we will be, uh, I'll be transitioning out of Garfield Memorial Church in about eight months. So beginning in July of 2023, I will be pastoring a church down in southeastern Ohio somewhere. Don't know exactly where yet. And I, I, I want you to, and there's plenty of, this is not a goodbye message. There's plenty of time for, <coughs> for all of that later. I did forget my cough drops, which is not a good thing. Not a goodbye message, um, but I do want to say that it's a bittersweet transition for us. It's a season of life kind of thing. 
Um, I've had a, it's been a joy and a privilege to know and work with Chip for 24 years now, uh, to know and work with and be blessed by working with Chip and Terry and the rest of the staff here at Garfield for almost eight years now. And uh, uh, it's a bittersweet thing for us. We believe this is where God is leading us. Um, it's the thread we're following. And if you don't know that reference, go back and find its sermon Chip preached like six years ago. Uh, um, and and we are we are blessed to have been here. We feel like God is leading us to a new ministry setting, and uh, we are we are looking forward to that. We are also sad uh, that we're going to be leaving. But I don't want a bunch of tearful things after the message today. We got time for that later. You'll get over it. Trust me, it'll be all right. Um, uh, but today, I want us to focus on this notion of prayer. But it is meaningful because that means that that wherever I'm going, I don't even know what church it's going to be yet, but Paul wrote this letter to them as well. And, and it's, it's a letter that the guidance Paul gives us, when he writes his letters, Paul uses a lot of different writing styles. In some letters, he uses polemic, um, which is a real strong form of argumentation and debate. In some letters, he uses diatribe, which is a you knuckleheads, get your act together. Um, in some letters, he's very personable and friendly, and, and uh, some letters are genuinely personal letters. Those letters all seem to be structured out of a sense of logic as kind of the main thing, the main orienting principle, is logical argumentative development. Ephesians is different because Ephesians is structured out of prayer. The teaching flows not out of argumentation, not out of logic. The teaching flows out of prayer. That doesn't make it less valid. What it makes it is, is it's a recognition by Paul that argumentation, skillful presentation, deep level understanding, as in good and important as those things are, they're not enough. We need prayer. So part of God's plan for building up the church, get this, this is going to be a shocker. This is the biggest bombshell you will have heard in the past 43 seconds. Part of God's plan for building up the church is that we pray for the church. <sighs> stunning, stunning. I think I had a point on that. Can we put that one up? There we go. No, I forgot. That's why we didn't get that because I skipped. The, we're going to skip that because I ran out of time in nine. So we're just going to go straight to God's plan for the church is, is uh, uh, to build up the church in prayer. There is a particular structure Paul uses for this prayer in Ephesians chapter one that comes out of the Jewish tradition. Ask me about it later. Um, I don't want to run out of time like I did earlier. So we're going to break things down. We're going to look at, at Paul's reasons for praying for the church, what Paul prayed for the church, the teaching that flowed out of this prayer, and the calling to the church itself. And then at the end of all of this, we're going to do something that we typically don't do at Garfield Memorial Church on Sunday morning worship. Um, I'm going to ask for the house lights to go up, and then I'm going to invite you, if you're willing, and if you're guest with us today, this, is, this might seem a little bit weird and different. Um, we don't get weird and different real often. Often, but every once in a while we do. That's why it's weird and different because it's not normal for us. But I'm going to ask the house lights to come up and I'm going to ask folks to gather around the walls and, and make a circle-ish uh, so you can see everyone else who's gathered here today.
okay? And then I am going to invite you to pray with me a prayer based on Paul's prayer that, that Flora read for us earlier. Um, I had a, a, a person very influential in my life once who said, whenever a preacher asks you to repeat after them in worship, don't do it because you really don't know whether what they're going to say and ask you to pray is, is uh, in accordance with the leading of the Holy Spirit or not. And you don't want to do that until you've heard what they want you to pray. And I think that's pretty good. I, 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 that, I think that makes a lot of sense. I have, you know, become a little more aware of when preachers ask me to repeat after them. Uh, and and I got to really trust what's being said before I do that. We're going to, the sermon is explaining what I'm going to ask you to pray. So if when we get there, you go, Blevins, I think you're off your nut. I'm not praying that. That's all right. Uh, no one's, we don't have prayer police going to come around and hit you on the head or anything like that. Um, if you feel that it is what God is leading you to, then please join in that prayer. All of that said, let's get there so you know what we're praying at the end. Prayer, what's the reason that Paul prayed? Why was Paul, first of all, and this is important, I'm going to come back to it later, Paul was not praying for unbelievers here. Paul was praying for the saints. The saints, the most common word used in the New Testament for folks who had faithfully committed their lives to following Jesus Christ. They were set apart by God for God's purposes and God's will. The saints, Paul was not praying for unbelievers. He was not praying for seekers. He was not praying for people that, were, that didn't know Jesus. He, this prayer was a prayer for people who were already in the church, already baptized, already committed to following Jesus. And when we look at the substance of that, that might become more and more surprising as we get to it. If it doesn't, I'll try to make it more surprising because it's important. All right? So Paul's reason for praying for the church, we find that in verse 15. Paul said, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints. This is what prompted Paul to pray. He's not angry at the church. He's not frustrated at the church. And let's, let's make it personal. He's not angry at us. He's not frustrated with us. He's praying for us because he's heard of our faith in the Lord Jesus and our love for all the saints. He said, well, how could he have heard of us? Okay, bear with me. This is for us. But, but you know, Paul, Paul is part of that great cloud of witnesses now. And, and, and he can see. He can look and see. And his, his attitude, the attitude here is not one of anger, not one of judgment, not one of contempt, not one of those, those silly, unruly children. Let's get them in order and get them back in line with, with how things ought to be. What prompts Paul's prayer, not pride, not judgment, not contempt, not anger, not a desire to correct or rebuke, but he's heard of our love for the saints and our faithfulness to the Lord Jesus faithfulness. It's a, the word in Greek is pistis. That's the noun. The verb form of that is pistoio. Um, and in and, and English, we don't have, uh, pistis means faith. And faith means something more than just an intellectual assent. It means fidelity. It means faithfulness too. Uh, if I, I have faith in my wife that she exists, but that's a very different thing than if I am faithful to my wife. And trust me, Trust me, my wife would much rather that I be faithful to her than just have faith in her. And God wants us to be faithful to him. It's partly believing, but it's also believing that works its way out into how we live, how we act, how we treat people. And that's the biggest piece of it because that's what Paul said, your love for the saints. 
your love for each other. I've heard you're faithful to Jesus and you love each other. And that prompts Paul to pray. And what does Paul pray? What does Paul pray? Let's look at the first thing he prays. It's in verse 16. Paul prays gratitude. Thanks. Thanks. I do not cease to give thanks to you, Paul says. I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. What an amazing thing. You ever had someone be glad you were there? Let me ask you this. You ever been in a situation where you felt like if I was gone, if I got hit by a bus, tomorrow no one would even notice? I think a lot of folks have experienced that kind of situation. Have you ever experienced the opposite where people are just so glad you're there? It's what we say about microchurch. It's a, it's a gathering of people where they're glad to see you when you're there and they miss you when you're not. That's what Paul's saying. I'm, I'm so thankful for you. Thankful. Thankful for the love that you have, for the faith that you have. And I remember you in my prayers. Paul prayed thanks to God. Paul prayed thanks to God for the church. The next thing that Paul prayed, verse 17, God, that God may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him. May God give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know. I'm just going to read it over here. It'll be easier. Spirit of revelation as you come to know him so that the eyes of your heart. Man, apparently it's not easier up here. I, I got new glasses. I'm going to blame it on that. Uh, I'm up to trifocals now. Woohoo! That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may perceive. And we're going to talk about the specific things Paul is praying that we'll perceive. But, but let's go back here to the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that the eyes of our heart might be enlightened so that we can perceive. Paul, Paul is a very smart guy. He had excellent training and education at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the greatest rabbis of his generation. Of, of any generation, really. Um, his writing is superb. His ability to articulate thoughts and ideas and argue persuasively is incredible. He's a smart guy who knows how to use words. He knows how to use logic. But at the end of the day, he's praying us into faith. Praying us, well, into all of these things. He's praying that we'll perceive We need to understand, it's important to understand, that thinking ourselves into the kingdom of heaven and thinking ourselves into the understanding of, of all of these things that God has for us, we can't get there on our own. Even coming to Jesus itself, we didn't get to that on our own. Jesus said, no one comes to me. No one comes to me unless they're drawn by the Father. And Paul is extending that idea for those who have already come to Jesus that we need, we need more than just Paul's words and Paul's skillful explanations and Paul's skillful arguments and presentations. We need God to reveal truth to us 
about who God is, who Jesus is, who we are, and our position in God and our position in this world, we need the eyes of our hearts enlightened. I love that phrase. I love that phrase. There's a, there's a worship song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. You ever hear that one? It's, it's, I, I think it's based on this verse. I don't know for sure. I never asked the person who wrote it. But but it certainly expresses this idea. We have an English phrase. This came out of the Greek. That's a pretty literal translation of the Greek there. We have an English expression that gets at the same idea. To see what I mean. Paul's saying, I hope, I'm praying that you can see what I mean when I tell you about these things. That it's not, you're not just hearing about it for me, that you'll perceive it for yourself. And we need God. We need God to show that kind of stuff to us. When we, when we lack, when we, when, we're, when we hear something in, in, in a sermon, we read something in the scripture, and we're like, I, I understand the words, but it's just not making sense to me. I don't get it. I can't figure out how to get from here to there. That's when we pray. And we say, God, open the eyes of my heart. Help me see it. Give me that wisdom, your spirit of wisdom. Without that, I'm just left to my own thinking and my own understanding, and that ain't enough. So what does Paul want us to perceive? What does he want us to understand, to see with the eyes of our heart? The first thing is that you may perceive what is the hope to which he has called you. Perceive that hope. See, this prayer, this chapter one, is kind of a, it's a, it's a, a, a summary of the rest of the letter. Paul or Paul. See, there you go. I'm, I'm, chip, I meant to say Chip, but he's, you know, Paul right here in the front. Chip, a couple weeks ago, preached uh, brilliantly on this notion of hope in the scripture that, 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 that Paul wants us to perceive this hope that we have in Christ. That hope, Paul's not talking, it's not how we use hope when we say, I hope the Browns will win, or I hope I have a good time at Thanksgiving, or I hope I get something I like for Christmas, or I hope I get that job, or I hope I get that date. It's not what, that's not the hope that Paul's talking about. The hope that Paul is talking about is, is this. Do you ever say to yourself, man, I hope the sun comes up in the morning? You don't say that because you know no matter how dark it is at midnight, you know the sun's coming up in the morning. You haven't seen it come up yet, but you know it. That's the hope. That's that's what Paul means when he uses that word. We have the same hope in Jesus Christ that we have in the sun. In fact, more so because one day the sun will quit coming up. In Revelation, there is no sun uh, in the final kingdom of heaven. Uh, God provides all the light that we need. Until then, we believe that we know that the sun's going to come up, and we know that Jesus Christ is faithful. We know that Jesus Christ is powerful. We know that Jesus Christ has already conquered all of the forces of evil in this world when he died and rose again. We know that. That is our hope. And, and that's what Paul's praying, that the eyes of our hearts will be open so we don't just hear the words and understand the words and try our best to believe the words, but we see it. And it's just as real to us as a sunrise. Just as real. That's the first thing that Paul has for us, that he's praying for us. Go, go ahead and put the, the, did I, yeah, yeah, I'll say, go back, go back, because I got to go back to that scripture. The hope we have in Christ, he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance? The riches of his glorious inheritance. I, 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 I see that I got my notes out of uh, sync with my, with my slides, which is not a super helpful thing for the tech folks. So I apologize to whoever's doing slides back there this morning. I'm bouncing all over the place. The riches of his glorious inheritance. 
God, God owns it all, right? Um, uh, whether God did it in seven days or, you know, 40 billion years, our existence originates in God. He's the author of this universe. His power brought it into being and sustains it at every moment. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God has all honor, all glory. God has dominion over everything, and God has adopted us as his children, and that means we inherit from God. You don't earn an inheritance. I talked about that a couple weeks ago. You don't earn an inheritance. You don't achieve an inheritance. You don't buy an inheritance. You receive it. It's a gift from the one who bequeaths it to you. And we have that inheritance. We have it in Christ Jesus. Now go on to the, the, that two slides down. The riches of that inheritance and the immeasurable greatness of his power. Jesus, God's power is beyond anything we can imagine. It, 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 the, the words, they sound silly, I think, perhaps in modern scientific ears. But without God's attention, I don't believe the universe exists. God holds us in being. And, 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 and science tells us, and I, I know I'm treading on dangerous ground because I'm not a scientist, but, but they say that the universe is not infinite. It has its limits, and there's nothing outside the universe. I think that's where, we, I think that's where God is. You know, outside, God exists outside of the universe even, as well as inside the universe. God's power is so great that death could not stop God. God's power is so great that, that when Pharaoh, the most powerful king in the, in the, in the world, said, these people are my slaves. I'm going to keep them here. God said, no, I'm taking them with me. And God won. God, God parts the waters of the sea. He brings the sun. He brings the rain. God, you know, he said to Job, you know, are, are, you, are you feeding the mountain goats? Do you know how that works? You know, the, the great monsters of the ocean depths, the giant land animals, you, you taking care of all of them? I got all that covered. You don't know anything about it. God's power and greatness is beyond anything we can imagine. And, and it's one thing to hear a preacher say it. It's one thing to read it in a book. It's another thing to see it with the eyes of our heart and say, yes, now I see it. It's true. And all of this for us who believe, that word believe there, it's that word faith. In the Greek, it's pistoio. They have a, they have a verb form for faith. Um, I... Uh, they have pistis is the noun, pistoio is the verb. We don't have a verb form for faith, so we translate it as believe. But that's dangerous because sometimes when we say believe, we can think that just means I got to believe that it's true and believe that it's real. But, but what this is, is for us who put our faith in, who put our, who stake our hopes and dreams and life upon, who are faithfully following, that's who this prayer is for that we perceive the hope, the riches of the inheritance, the immeasurable greatness of his power for all of us who believe, for all of us who are following Jesus. That's the prayer. And out of that prayer flows a teaching. And I'm going to hit this teaching really, really quick. I have no idea where we are on time. But is the, the timer's not working. Is the clock right? Is it 1044? Is that the actual time? I'm just going to go by the clock. Okay. All right. Cool. Not giving me a timer is dangerous for everybody. <laughs> go ahead and put 45 minutes up. No, just kidding. What flows out of the prayer is teaching. And this teaching is a brief summary of the rest of the teaching Paul is giving in this letter. Here's the teaching. 
Did I skip something? No, I didn't. Here's the teaching. God put this power at work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named. This list, far above all rule and power and authority and dominion, is the same list that Paul uses at the end of this letter when he says, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Some of the translations are a little bit different, or I'm just remembering a different translation, but it's the same list. Paul says, put on your armor, <coughs> salvation, hope, uh, 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 faith, peace, love, sword of the spirit, all of these things. Put all of them. You need that armor in this, this spiritual war that we're part of. But he tells us at the beginning, all the way at the beginning, that Jesus has already won the battle. He's already got authority over all of this stuff. All of it. That's the teaching. Yes, we're caught in this cosmic battle of good versus evil. But don't worry, because the battle's already been won. Jesus is already in charge. God has already placed him above all of this. All of this. What do we have to worry about it then? Get to that in a minute. Not only in this age, but also in the age to come. He has put all things under his feet and made him head over all things for the church. So all of the stuff we're fighting against, all the racism, all the sexism, all the generational poverty, all the homophobia, all of the division, all of the hostility, all of the things that seek to divide us and separate us as followers of Jesus Christ. Again, this is a prayer for the church. This is not a prayer for unbelievers. But we know that the devil is constantly in work to tear people apart in the church, to tear churches apart, to divide with schisms, whether it's over politics or, or, or nationalism or economic or theology or all of these things, always trying to divide all of these forces, trying to separate us and divide us up into these schisms and factions. And Paul says, Jesus has authority over all of it. All of it. So no matter which side you think you're on and someone on the other side of the room you think they're on, Jesus is over both of you. All of it. And he's praying for us in the middle of all of that to recognize that Jesus is our head. We're the body. Jesus is the head. He's got the authority over all of us, all of us who believe. That's the teaching. Here's the calling. Here's the calling. Verse 23. For the church, which is, is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. The calling is for us to grow up into Jesus. Right? The calling is for us to grow up. Paul's not saying this perfect church. When he says, I thank you for your, I'm thankful for your faith and for your love, he's not, he's not saying, you've arrived, sit back, relax. We've got more growing to do to grow up into Jesus to let our faithfulness become so mature and so complete that when we are gathered together, folks, look at us and see Jesus. Look at us and say, that's where the power is. That's where the love is. Those folks are so good to each other. How could I not want to be part of them? That we grow up into Jesus and become truly and completely his body on this earth. All right, that's all the explanation. 
that's all the explanation. I left a lot of stuff out. I might have to, you know, I don't know. Don't want to go too far over time. And this is coming up on the most important part, which is the prayer part. The prayer part. So I want you to turn the, turn the lights up, house lights up, if you could, back there, Boyd, um, so we can, we can see each other. And then in, in a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to stand up, but I'm not going to do that yet. But I want, I want us to be able to see each other for this part. Um, this, this whole business of this prayer being for the church is, is a recognition that we're not there yet. We're on our way, but we're not there and, and it's a recognition that as we look around the room and see all of the diversity, all of the diversity that we need each other. You see, because I don't know about you, but there are some things I just don't get yet. I just don't get it. I don't see it. And, and I know that's true because I'm like on a regular basis going, what? Really? Huh? I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't see it. And, and, and part of my growing up has been moving from a place where when I didn't get it and understand it and see it, I would just reject it because I thought I had it already. I knew it. I saw it. And if it wasn't in that, that sort of narrow beam of light that I had and it didn't fit in there in that spotlight, then, then it must not be part of the kingdom. And so I would reject it. And I would push it out. I don't get it. That's not it. It must not be God. It must not be God. But that's why we need each other. Because here's the bad news. You don't get it either. At least not individually. You don't. None of us knows God completely. We can't. God is infinite. God is so far beyond us. There is no way any person can comprehend the fullness of who God is. Paul prays and writes, and, and, and hopes that we will comprehend the awesomeness of God. But remember, God said, Paul writes to us plural, not us individually. We need each other. A different person with a different background and different life experience and different action activity with God and God working on different things in their life is going to bring a different light to the table. And when their light joins with my light, now we can both see more. And then when another person's light and another person's light, and it's not that we're all bringing a different God to the table. It's that we're all reflecting God differently. We're prisms that God's shining through us differently. You know, the, the stained glass windows in the old churches, and we got some here too, another part of the building. It's, it's each, each fragment of that stained glass makes the light a little bit different, and it's all when it comes together in that mosaic that we see the full picture. And so we need each other. We need each other. I had a, 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 an example of this in my own life that was profound for me at the time but only became more profound as years went by. It happened about uh, over 30 years ago now. I was in college, I believe it was my freshman year. So it would have been uh, probably 1988. Um, and, and I went to, uh, grew up United Methodist, so I went to the local United Methodist Church, Oxford United Methodist, not in England, but in Miami, go Red Hawks. Uh, went to Oxford United Methodist Church and, and wanted to connect with the youth group there because even at a really young age, I wanted to work with youth. And when I got there, I was very 
pleasantly surprised to recognize that I, I knew the, the youth pastor. He was the associate pastor of Oxford United Methodist. His, name's Dave, name was Dave. His name still is David. He's no longer the youth pastor there. Um, and uh, he welcomed me, invited me to be part of the, the, the volunteer team for that. It was a big team. We had, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 college students uh, volunteering, working with the youth group, real strong youth group, a lot of fun. And, and we would gather for, for team meetings once in a while that, that David would leave. And I don't know how the topic came up, but it was a controversial topic then. Sadly, um, still a controversial topic today. And it was a question of homosexuality. And, and how do we embrace people uh, that are homosexual? How do we um, talk to the kids in the youth group about it if they have questions for us or are feeling that they're same-sex attracted? How do we do that? I grew up, I've shared before, I grew up very, very conservative. And what I believed at the time um, was that homosexuality is sin. I don't believe that anymore. And I can't get into the reasons for all of that right now. Um, but I, I, because I, I don't want to hurt anyone today, I need to just say I don't believe that anymore. If you want to talk about that, that's a good long discussion. I'll be happy to have it with you. But I don't believe that anymore. But at the time, I believed that. I believed that the Bible taught that that was sin and that if kids raise that with us, that's what we need to teach them. Because why in the world would we want to teach kids that something that is sinful is okay. Why would we do that? And I, I, I was the only person at the table that believed that. And, and because I have never been one to back down, um, I, I didn't back down. And, and I used all the resources of logic and polemic and uh, uh, reasoning and argumentation that I had to explain why I believed that was the truth. And that meeting ended with everybody angry and upset. And everybody else got up and left at the end of the meeting. And I was left alone in the room with David, the pastor. And David looked across the room at me. And, and David is someone who I, I, I now know the eyes of his heart were open. Um, and he looked at me and he said, he said, Scott, I know you're just trying to love people. See, he, he saw past the argumentation. He saw past the debate. And he, he called out in me this notion that, that I really just wanted to love people and I, what I thought I was doing was the loving thing. What I found out years later is that David is a homosexual. He was in the closet at the time. He isn't anymore. And I cannot imagine that I could have said anything more hurtful than the things that I said in that table, in that group around that table. And if anybody at that table had call and reason to judge me and condemn me and push me out and say you're no... I stayed, I was part of the volunteer team at that church for the next, till I graduated. Um, I, I was welcomed everywhere we went and everything we did. And, and, and I believe the reason why the rest of the staff continued to welcome me was because of David. And, and, and David was the one person who could have booted me. But he knew that I didn't see. He knew that I couldn't see at that point, that the eyes in my heart were closed, the scales still hadn't fallen. And, and instead of judging and condemning and belittling me, instead of rejecting me and kicking me out, he spoke truth into me, and it took Decades, but the eyes of my heart finally opened. 
And, and, and I believe now that uh, very faithful to Scripture and to the leading of the Holy Spirit, the church can welcome anybody, regardless of their sexual orientation. And, and that's the kind of prayer that I'm talking about, the kind of diversity I'm talking about. I want to you know, I want to ask us to pray for each other, a prayer based on this reading. And I want us to stand up now because it's really important for us to see each other. If you want to stand up and move to the outside um, and look toward the middle so you can see everyone else. And the more, if we can even get more lights on, that would be awesome because I'm seeing now that people are really standing in the shadows. Um, Flora, I don't, I, don't know whether the, I don't know where the switches are. I was going to tell you to flip some switches, but I'll probably tell you the wrong switches and we'll have a mess. Um, oh, there we go. Get a little more light in here so we can see each other. So we, we look around this room, and, and, and the diversity is so important. The, the Mosaics Conference this week, and I hope Chip's going to talk some more about that at the end like he did after the 9 o'clock service. Um, incredible. Um, because when we come from different backgrounds and different experiences and different cultures, we, we bring different things to the table, and we've seen different things about God. And when we look around this room, we see the church. We see the church, and in this space at Garfield Memorial Church, we see this church that's diverse, and you can, you can just take a glance around the room and see the, the, the ethnic diversity in this room, the, the diversity of skin color. You can see the generational diversity in this room. You can see, uh, you, you know, I was going to make a joke about hair. I'll skip that. You can see all of these significant dimensions of diversity. Some of the diversity we can't see. Some of it we can't see. You know, we've, we've got folks of all different skin color in this room. We also, we have wealthy folks in this room, and we have folks in this room struggling in poverty. And you can't see that looking around the room. We have, we have people in this room who are 100% convinced and, and, and certain in their heart that Jesus is God's son, and he lived, and he died, and God raised him from the dead, and he reigns. And we have folks in this room going, I hear it. I just don't get it yet. But they're here, part of this church. We've got folks in this room who are Republicans. We've got folks in this room who are Democrats. I don't care what you say. You can't tell by looking. We've got folks in this room who are liberal, folks who are conservative. We've got folks in this room who are lesbian and gay and bisexual and transgender. And you can't tell by looking. We're the church. We're the church. We got folks in this room who are here because they want to be and folks who are in this room are here because someone said, you better be. And you can't tell. But we're the church. We are the church. And I want to invite you to pray for us as Paul prayed for us with thanksgiving. Now, I was going to put it up on the screen, but if I put it up on the screen, then you're not going to be looking at each other. You're going to be looking at the screen. I want you to be looking at each other. You don't have to look down and close your eyes to pray. God's there with your eyes open too. It's okay to close your eyes in prayer. Don't do it today. Keep your eyes open. And look around and see who you're praying for. And I invite you to pray this with me. I'm going to give it to you in small chunks because it's a paragraph here. Just repeat after me. 
Lord God, I thank you for these, my sisters and brothers. I thank you for their faith in the Lord Jesus. And their love for us, your church. God, grant them a spirit of wisdom and revelation as they come to know you so that with the eyes of their heart enlightened they may know what is the hope to which you have called them. the riches of your glorious inheritance among them and the immeasurable greatness of your power for all of us who put our faith in you according to the working of your great power May they fully grow into and faithfully live as the body of Jesus Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. That phrase, the riches of your glorious inheritance among them, the inheritance doesn't come to us individually. The inheritance is among us. I don't know what you were taught. I was taught when I died, I'd have a mansion on a hill someplace in heaven. There ain't no mansion. There ain't no estate. The literal translation is we get an apartment in the apartment building. We're together with each other. This church, I'm so thankful for this church, whoever you are, Wherever you are, wherever you're coming from, whatever you're coming out of, whatever you're living in, I'm so thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's sing it together.